Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Zach with us from Charleston, South Carolina today, and he runs a firm by name GCM. And the focus for Zach and his firm is to make sure that companies understand purpose. Everybody working within the company understands purpose. And as a group together, they run purpose-driven companies. So we'll find out about that. So welcome, Zach. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So Zach, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization. Yeah, thank you. And I love how you start with this question about talking about the actual person. That's that's what we focus on at our organization. So we believe that we're building um, a, a company based on human connection, <clears throat> all about who you are. So I, I had the, the privilege of living and traveling around the world. So I've lived in China for a couple of years, South Africa, Washington, D.C., spent a bunch of time in Italy, UK, kind of all over. Um, and, and what I found was a constant uh, in all these places was the power of human connection. And I was always told when I was younger, you know, maybe you should be a lawyer. Um, you have, you know, you're very good with arguing and talking to people and, and, and things like that. But it, there's nothing wrong with it. I just didn't sit well with me. I couldn't figure out why. And the more I traveled and the more I met people and the more I connected with people, the more I realized I wanted to do something that brought that to, to my work. I wanted to focus on taking maybe myself or an idea or someone else and connect them with another person. And so, so GCM now, uh, our, our company is a family founded global communications agency, and we believe in the power of human connection and business as a force for good. Um, we, we get to know our clients from the inside out, it's very important to us. And we think that we create thoughtful communications and marketing campaigns that resonate on a, on a human level. So when you when you talk about the human connection and when you talk about purpose-driven organizations, this whole aspect of purpose, when does that come into being and does that change or evolve as the organization grows? It's a really good question. So <clears throat> it's... It, it, it can change and evolve, but where we see it comes into, um, into being within an organization is, is as a second or a third step. So a lot of people will talk about what's your why, what's your purpose, and, and it is important, but what we believe is if you don't understand your organizational identity first, your purpose will be a lot rockier. You may not have a clear idea on why that is your purpose. You might, you might be working on two different ways. And, 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 that, and that one will make you less efficient in bringing your purpose into all of your activities. But two, it could actually have a bit of blowback. And so what we say is, first, organizations need to understand who they are. Secondly, then they need to understand why, what they do, why they exist, and what their purpose is. And, and your purpose, I think, on a, on a macro higher level, that probably wouldn't change. Once you do the real kind of soul searching uh, in an organization to understand it, it probably won't really change a heck of a lot. You, you, you may pivot it left or right, or you may have new applications for it, but it would be surprising for a purpose to change because that means your organization is completely changing. I mean, we, we think about purpose in a similar way as we think about what an organization does. So if an organization builds itself on its identity as we think organizations should, then what they do really can pivot a lot because it comes all back to their identity and that's what they're selling. It's the same thing with, with, with purpose. If your purposes connect to your identity, then the pivot of the purpose isn't a problem. Um, where if you're, if you're actually creating your entire organization based on one purpose, 
if that purpose is maybe now a bad purpose or changes, then now you have a lot bigger of an issue than just going back to finding something that matches your identity. So I'm going to give you an example and, you know, um, let's discuss that a little bit. So I've been in the healthcare space and I'm sure, you know, healthcare is um, so predominant out in the U.S. that we talk about it every day, right? So any company, whether they're in the service side, whether they're in the technology side, whatever aspect of healthcare they're touching, they always talk about making healthcare easier or um, making it simpler or making it cost effective and going after, uh, you know, the end consumer. But when you really look at how they put their uh, mission statements and how they put their products and services together, or even the language for it when they're pitching it out there, uh, uh, you know, in the general forum. So you might be a healthcare company that is servicing another healthcare company. Uh, the, you know, you, you might be providing, let's say, uh, call center CRM, and you, you're, you're talking about, okay, I have a CRM product, I'm providing it to other businesses that actually go and manage the relationship with the end user, the member, and it's all member centric. And, and then comes all the, all the difficult terms that they talk about, which a common man doesn't understand, right? But when, as a consumer, as a healthcare consumer, when you look at a healthcare consumer, what do they care about? All they care about is let me get my services on time. Please be clear with my services that I get so that I have, uh, I make the right choices and please keep the costs transparent. And yeah, do all that you need to do with the technology and bringing costs down and all that. I could care less as long as a consumer, I'm getting serviced right. That's all they care about. But when they look at a company, a CRM company, for instance, and what they're trying to do in order to bring it down, bring the costs down, they get lost in all that the, the slang and, and the, the words that are used around technology and, and how they're trying to reinvent the wheel to simplify, they make it more complex than it actually should be. Yeah. And where does purpose get, get lost in the middle of all this? So I think what happens, and this, and this is why we exist, this, this whole idea, is that people get too bogged down in what they do in their products and services. I, I just don't, it, it, it's important. Like, of course you have to be, you know, provide X1 products and services, but that's not what really what people sell. I mean, that's, that, that's what we believe and that's what we've seen. And I think people get bogged down in purpose. It's because they tie it to a product or service. So for instance, one of the things you mentioned is, oh, we can do everything at really low cost. Well, sometimes in the healthcare market, costs are completely out of your control. Right. And so if you're building a business or, or your identity on, on an action, like doing something at a low cost, and then something happens like a global pandemic and, and these costs come completely out of your hands, you've now lost your purpose because that purpose is no longer in, in, in your control. And so what I would think about is, is creating a level of trust with, with your, with your customers, whether it is a B2B or B2C that, when things in the market shift that beyond your control, they still know who you are and, and, and why you're there. And they can trust you to either make it right or to pivot in a way that's going to, to, to serve them. You know, I, I, one of the clients, uh, one of the larger clients I had when I was living in South Africa was a very large telecommunications um, client and like really like jargony technical terms. I mean, they were putting fiber in the ground. They were talking about 
latency and, and contention rates and like all, and they're trying to sell that we have, but really all people care about is when they turn the faucet on, does the water come out? That's like, that's all, that's all they really want. And so I had, I did a, actually did a presentation on this, on this concept at a, at a conference in, in Cape Town. And so another person who worked at a telecommunications company raised their hand. They said, everything you're saying sounds great, but we're a really boring, dry company. We, we, we lay fiber, we, we do technology. And I said, but that's not, that's not who you are as an organization. That's what you do. That's, that's, the, that's the output. That's the product. Think deeper. Like what happens on a human level because you do that? Why, why do you exist? Like why, wh- what is important to you? What values and principles do you have? And I said, I, I think about having lived and traveled around the world and I now have uh, a child and, and, and another on the way and we have no family living anywhere near us. And I think about what telecommunications provides to me and my family, that connection, watching, you know, having the grandparents watch my son grow, you know, laughing, crying together in in places far apart has nothing to do with the fiber or how fast a contention rate is. Am I able to share these beautiful experiences with my parents and, and my son's grandparents? Yes or no? And is it because you exist? Great. So now when the market changes and now maybe it's a little bit more expensive, maybe there's a weather disruption and now that stuff's going down. I still have trust in this organization that they exist because we share the same principles that like family and human connection is is important. So that might be like a bit of an example with healthcare. I mean, healthcare, I can't think of a more uh, industry that's based more on trust than healthcare. Right. And so but, but people don't trust, you know, if I think about some of the deepest emotions that we have and, and or, or, or things like trust, it's not built on a product or a service. It's built because I'm looking at you and I understand you and I believe in your principles and your values. And when things happen outside of your control, I'll forgive you. You know, taking that same example that you gave, right? So there's the, the ones that are putting the fiber in the ground. And then there's your internet service provider. And the fiber guy is servicing the internet service provider. The internet service provider is servicing you as the end client. But honestly, the fiber guy's job is, is also to service you, the end consumer. Right. Uh, and they, they think it stops with the internet service provider. And it's, it doesn't. It, it, you know, it, it has always been about you flipping it on and having a smooth stream of video going out or coming in, whatever you're trying to do. And, and that's what everyone should, should care about. So when it comes to identity and messaging and having the leadership of organizations aligned with this aspect of it, that you know, whoever you're, you're servicing, your end consumer is not that, but it's the one that's consuming your services. Right. How does that go? Yeah. So if I think about, so I think fire is a really good example. And it's like, it's like the perfect thing, the relationship with the service provider and stuff like that. But if I think about like fiber, if I'm running a fiber company, just off the top of my head, like why, what's my identity? Why do I exist? I think that I might exist as a fiber company because I believe in the power of human capacity. Like I believe that if human beings have the tools at their hands, they can achieve anything. And right now that means internet connection, right? Like without, which is still not as prevalent as it should be. And particularly with high speeds. So that's like, that's, if I think about my identity as a fiber company, it's, it's, it's existing because I believe that human beings are capable of the unbelievable. Not because I believe that I can provide like the most future-proof resilient fiber. That's, that's the function in which like my identity manifests in the market. And, and to your point, if my service provider can't sell a good product, and if the end user can't use a good product, then my existence 
is a fraud. Like I, my whole thing about believing in the power of human capacity is it, it doesn't exist. So Zach, let's talk about you. You know, what, what's your background and how did you end up doing what you're doing right now? So I, I grew up always having a huge interest in, in storytelling and stories and, and also in politics. So I majored in political science. I also, I minored in English. Um, and I just love, I mean, doing what we're doing now, I'm truly like loving having this conversation, getting to know you. And, um, and I first got my, I got my first job. I always thought like, well, I'm just going to go to Washington DC because if you want to be kind of like in the politics, just be in Washington DC and like kind of by happenstance, surely I'll end up in a, in a politics job. So I got a job um, and this was after China. So after, after college, I kind of just realized that I'm an extremely privileged person and that I haven't had too many shaky, scary parts of my life, at least not compared to, you know, what I, what I read and see and, or people that I know. And so I wanted to try to take myself out of my comfort zone and go somewhere that was different from where I grew up. And China was a great place to, that was different from where I grew up. And I loved my time there. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. Um, and it gave me this, I think it was really important because it gave me this confidence to be okay with being uncomfortable. So like, it was never, I, I always thought that people who did these things that were scary or different, that they knew how to not be scared or that they knew how to not be confident or they knew how to always be comfortable. And then just by this, by traveling, I realized that that's, that's not it at all. Really what it is is being comfortable with the fact that I'm not confident right now or that I'm taking a chance or that I'm out of my comfort zone. Like the, that part's okay. And so when I went to DC, I was very open to, to different ideas. I was fine to take on a job that I wasn't completely comfortable with because I thought maybe that I had a chance to figure it out. And I got a job at a boutique public affairs firm and I worked for real on real large issues. It was in 2009. One of them was the Dodd-Frank financial overhaul, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, massive, massive things. We worked on some pieces of that and then worked for two of the three hard, uh, largest health insurers in the United States on, on various different issues. Um, and then I went and realized, well, this is great, um, but I want to do something that is kind of broader and I want to have more of a global impact. Uh, I didn't really know what that looked like. So I looked for one of the biggest comms agencies in DC, which, which is one of the biggest, well, actually is the biggest comms agency in the world, which was Edelman. And so I applied for the first job that I thought made the most sense, even though I had no PR experience, I had no pitching media experience and luckily got the job. But I remember in the interview, they asked me, well, have you ever pitched media before? And I said, no, but I'm, I'm willing to find out. And they said, well, have you ever done that? I said, no, but I'm, I'm willing to find out. So what I have done is I've taken complex topics and I've tried to distill it in a way that makes sense to people and, and will bring some sort of emotional reaction to it. So I ended up getting <clears throat> hired there and then getting transferred down to, to South Africa, um, <clears throat> not thinking that the comms part was going to be what was going to be the most exciting. I thought having like international clients would be exciting, have putting, be able to put big clients like, you know, Blackberry and GE and Shell and all these, like put that on my resume. Like that was the key. But really when I got down to it, um, the comms aspect is what I ended up loving so much. Um, but there was always something, you know, we, I felt like there was, the best opportunities that I had was when I got to travel for work. So when I was in South Africa, I went to Rwanda a couple of times and worked with Carnegie Mellon University has, an, has a uh, campus there. And the more people that I met there, the more I was able to 
buy into what was going on, what they were trying to accomplish. The fact that Rwanda doesn't have a lot of natural resources like the rest of the continent. And so they had to double down on investing in technology because that was, that was the only thing that they could grow and create you know, in, in Kigali. And it made me so excited about their mission and about <clears throat> who they were and why they were there. And I realized that I don't know how else to do comms as well as I can do it unless I know the people. I have some sort of connection with them. And then, of course, how can they reach their own people, their audience, if they don't have that connection with them? And so went back and um, worked in government for a while and did consulting on the side and realized that we had an opportunity to actually take a view and an approach to comms and marketing that we just hadn't seen before. Like, I think it happens, but I don't think that that is as common as we believe it should be. And if I think about it, you know, I think this also has something to do with this. So every time, and I love networking, I love, I'm social being, but I always felt awkward not being and talking to people, but because the question that I always was asked is, what do you do? The first question was, hey, my name is blank. What do you do? And it felt like it was always pushing me into this box or so, like I felt, I never felt that comfortable. And I realized it was because I've never had a meaningful conversation or developed a meaningful relationship based on what I do. And if that's the truth, then why doesn't that happen on a global scale with big corporations? So that's what drove you to do what you're doing today. It, 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 that is definitely what drove me to do what I'm doing today. I, the, the, the more experience I get, the more I realize I need to find areas that I'm comfortable in and that I'm excited about and maximize that and reduce the areas that don't feel natural to me. And, and I knew that I love being in, I still do love being in rooms with people that I don't know, but I don't always like the way that they're structured and the conversations that I feel that like I'm forced to have. I become very awkward um, and, and, and lose myself. And now I find that I'm trying to talk about myself in a way that is completely unnatural. And I just don't want to, I just didn't want to do that anymore. And so what is like, you know, what's the best way of combining the comms that I love and the relationships that I love to build, except for doing what we're doing in our business. Awesome. Now you also talk about uh, identity driven companies, right? you you talk about taking companies and introducing them to their own identities. What do you mean by that? So basically helping companies answer the question, who is your business? Because most companies, companies that we see around, they're very focused on, on selling their products and their services and on answering these questions of what's your why, what's your purpose. But when you ask them, who are you as a business? Who are you as an organization? They get very lost. And so we believe that, the, that your identity is the foundation of any organization. If you think about it as a house, your what you do, your purpose, your why, your mission, that's built on top. If you have a shaky foundation, sure, the house can stand for a little while, but you're going to be doing a lot of repairs and you won't be able to expand it. But if you have that strong foundation, you can change the house. You can make it bigger. You can make it a skyscraper. It doesn't matter what you do to it. That foundation is solid. That's your identity. It's who you are, your principles, what your beliefs are. Um, and then from there, building out the rest of, of, their, of their messaging and their offerings to say, well, how does who you are link to what you do? How does who you are link to your purpose? And so... The first thing that we do to get to get the light bulb to try to connect, because again, like 
I think this sounds simple, but when we actually have these conversations, it's very foreign to most people that we talk to. They've never been asked to talk about their organization like this. And it's uncomfortable. And if I ask, if someone asks me, Zach, who are you? That's not the most comfortable conversation for me to be having out loud. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult one to do some introspection. And that's what we're asking organizations to do just on a larger level. And so we ask them, Find five or 10, depending on how, long, how large you are, find five or 10, 100 people in your organization, send them these two questions, but send them together. Who is your business and what does it do? Because what often happens is we ask organizations, who is your business? And they'll automatically start answering what they do in that. And we'll say, no, 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 who, who is your business? And not only do we see that organizations that focus on that, particularly in crises like a pandemic or something, are, have the ability to pivot without any sort of disruption in their market, without you know, making their audience seem very confused, they can pivot no problem because they've never sold their products or services. They've always sold their identity. And then I, I always use the most obvious example in the world, which is Apple. If you think of Apple, Apple knows it's like, we didn't independent, like we didn't make this up. We just arrived at this idea and saw that all the best companies in the world were already doing this. So Apple started as a hardware company. We know all the products they've made in between, and now they're making TV shows. How can a computer hardware company actually be producing award-winning television shows? And how come when they, when they announce these new products that are so different from the other one, no one questions them. In fact, they actually assume they're going to do well. It's because Apple has never sold their product or services. They've always sold their identity of people who believe in the value of thinking differently. People believe in the value of the human experience and of having this like premium feel that is somehow accessible to the masses. I mean, that is their identity. That premium is not just reserved for an exclusive few. That's their identity. So they can make TV shows that are premium, but anybody can subscribe to. They can make phones that most people, you know, in, in, in lots of parts of the world have. They can make computers that most people own. And no one questions, why are they getting into the TV business? the wearable technology business, the software business, the gaming, they make games. It's because they don't sell what they do. They sell their identity. And we want to help organizations get to that level. Now, how do you socialize that level of clarity within an organization, top down, you know, left to right? How do you do that? It's really, really difficult, to be honest, because, again, we are not it's not like we're walking into an organization that has no preconceived notion of how they should be talking about themselves. We're like trying to undo decades of people just steering them the wrong way. And if you think about, especially with large organizations that we work with, that at like a senior level, I mean, these are, this is an emotional discussion that you're having. And then to be able to have that permeate throughout an entire organization, now you're getting everybody else's preconceived notions that you're having to fight. And so, what we do in the beginning is try to make the input as collective and positive as possible. So we believe it's extremely important. And me, as somebody who founded a company, believe this too. It's like, this company is no longer mine. Like this company, we own it. My wife and I own it. But like, this is not my company. This is now, this company now exists of all the people who are within it and our collective identities. And so if you want to truly understand your organizational identity, you need to include people all throughout the company. And I mean, you know, horizontally and vertically. And a lot of times what we find is the resistance to some kind of shift like this mostly happens when people feel that they're left out of the equation. Mm -hmm. If you include people in the process, 
They're way more likely to be happy and accept an outcome that maybe wasn't their initial thought, but they were a part of the process and they had parts of way in and, and they know that it was a collective effort. And then, so once we do that, once, once it's agreed upon, like, this is our identity, this is who we are, this is what we do. Then we do some really block and tackle internal communication stuff, but we try to make it a little bit more fun, make games out of it, tell stories about it, highlight a lot of how this identity is manifested in people and in their jobs. I mean, that, that's one of the best ways to make it more relatable is showing that how, how do people view and, and use this identity to, to do their work. You know, one, uh, one aspect uh, that comes to mind is, let's say about 10 or 15 years ago, there was this whole notion of core competencies, right? If you're a business, you had certain core competencies, as long as you stuck with them, you would be successful, you know, deviate from your core competencies, and, you know, you're going to lose it out. But when you look at it, when you mentioned this, you know, when we look at companies like Amazon or Apple, and the core philosophy being around an identity and them them venturing into any kind of a business for that matter right you know whether they're selling stuff online versus uh, you know cloud services versus something else going you know taking people into space for that matter um, it's it's different core competencies honestly speaking right for each each of those verticals but it's all under the same umbrella and that too being executed very effectively what what do you think changed and uh, what morphing occurred that makes it so successful? I think what's changed is that people are very, very more interested in value alignment and trust. So they want to, people want to do business with organizations that they trust. I think that was a huge shift. They actually started thinking about what it means to trust an organization. And I don't know if this is the case, but Lots of organizations kind of came in and then they had these big fiery kind of failures. Maybe there was a big disaster or a crisis. And they realized that we need to get to know these organizations a little bit more than just kind of these core competencies or surface level products and services. So I think that people, and, and we know that people make 90% 90, 90 of people make decisions based on emotion. And I think that that number is low because if people were honest, it would be more. And then we use logic to justify our decisions to ourselves and to others. So if we, if we know that, then what is emotional or trustworthy about a product? Nothing. What's emotional and trustworthy is who is behind the product as an organization. And I think organizations started realizing that that not only was true, but that there was opportunity in that. And your example of Amazon is probably even a better example of, of Apple because I mean, they're in space now. Like that's like, that's so different from selling books online, which is how they started. And my mother was an early adopter being a teacher. That's how all the teachers would get their books when that came out. But he never, in the beginning, Bezos never said that they were an online book distributor. Like that was never his, his, his goal for, for Amazon. Um, so I, I, think the tr I think trust just was starting to be considered as, you know, like needing to be at the forefront of consumers' minds. But I think what we're seeing more recently, maybe over the past five or 10 years, um, that is maybe making this theory double down, is value alignment. So increasingly, consumers want to do business with organizations that they believe share the same values. And again, there's not a value in a computer, not unless I know who's behind it. So I think, I mean, it's a really good point you raised. That would be my two guesses, but it's something that would be more interesting to explore. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about uh, the services that you provide. 
So we are a full service boutique comms uh, and marketing agency. So we do everything from being an agency of record where we do social media, crisis communication, design, report writing, um, blog writing. So, I mean, we do absolutely everything, but we just operate in our really lean fashion. Um, we work with real large organizations, multinational Fortune 500 companies, um, and, and work all around the world. So we have clients based here. We have clients based in Europe. We do work over in, in Asia, Asia Pacific. And we think that that is a real big strength. Um, you know, our, our common thread is not by industry or by size. It's by, the, you know, working with organizations that do well and do good and don't believe they have to sacrifice either one to do both really well. Awesome. And then what's the best way people can reach you? So uh, our website is www.whoisgcm.com. It's important for us to ask ourselves our own question uh, every time we think about our business. Uh, and there's hello at whoisgcm right there on the website. But I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. So it's just Zach Giglio um, on LinkedIn. Awesome. Hey, Zach, this has been uh, very insightful, very helpful. Uh, I know we could spend the next several hours <laughs> discussing this. Yeah. Um, but as I wrap up this episode, thank you so much for joining us today, by the way. Any takeaway, one takeaway for the listeners that you'd like to share? I, I would encourage them to go to their organization and ask them the two questions. Who is your business? Who is our business and what does it do? And if you're an individual trying to figure out who you are as an entrepreneur, I would send a text message to five people some that are very close and some that are quite different and ask if you had to describe me in two sentences or less, how would you do that? Because I believe just as organizations should focus on their identity, so should individual entrepreneurs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for joining us today. This was very insightful and we'll definitely check out your website and uh, wish you the very best as you move on and we'll keep in touch. Great, thank you, I enjoyed it.